The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey guys, it's Gobby and welcome to What's Gobby Cooking in the Wild. We got a little bit of a facelift. If you're new here, I'm Gobby. I'm the founder of What's Gobby Cooking, a best-selling author and now a podcast host. What's Gobby Cooking in the Wild, which is the latest version of my podcast, is your one-stop shop for all your food and cooking questions. We'll be talking tips and tricks, how to store food, how to put together meals based on what's in your pantry and more. I'm also going to be interviewing some incredible people and highlighting super cool small companies from the food world. So let's get right into it. This is What's Gobby Cooking in the Wild. Happy Monday, guys. Today I have one of truly my favorite human beings, Sarah Copeland, joining us on the pod. She is the most incredible mom. She's the most incredible recipe developer. She's just like an all around angel. I love her. She just wrote a cookbook that is all about instant pot, one pot, family meals. And I know that's something we talk about a lot here on the podcast, on the blog, on Instagram. Everyone always wants to know more. So I thought, why not have her on and talk all things, her new book, how she got started. She's had an incredibly fascinating career. So without further ado, I won't spoil the whole interview for you. Sarah Copeland, I'm so... I'm so happy to see your face and hear your voice. I'm so happy to be here with you. This is the best. I'm pretending that I'm in LA and we're sitting by in a little cabana by your pool right now. Drinking cocktails. Yes. Oh my gosh. Well, I am so excited to introduce you to everyone on the What's Gobby Cooking in the Wild podcast. You are one of my favorite people I have met in the entire world, but especially in the food world. I feel like I don't even remember the first time we met. It had to be at IACP or something like that. It was at IACP, I I remember. Exactly. Yeah, we like instantly hit it off. And I just think you are such an angelic, magical human. And I want everyone to know about you. And you've had (laughs) such a fascinating career getting to where you are now in the food world. Like you've done so many different things. So I want you... Well, first, I want everyone to just know you. And then I want you to take us back to the very beginning of how you got into this wonderful world of food? Um, Oh my gosh, so fun. I love going back to the beginning. So I came to New York literally three days after I graduated from journalism school and I'd gotten a job at Glamour Magazine. I really thought I wanted to be a travel writer and do like, like cover some pretty serious topics. You know, I wanted to do like National Geographic and nature and like what's happening in the Congo, what's happening in Ghana. Like, uh, you know, my last two years of journalism school, I was you know, really, really deep diving into international relations and things like that. And then I came to New York and got a job at Glamour Magazine. Like, how weird. <laughs> but, you know, in journalism school, they were like, you know, they they wanted you to go to like local papers, right? And I was like, I think New York is for me. And so I just put my feelers out and to all the magazines, including like my dream job was Connie Nast Traveler, National Geographic, like one of those, you know, high flute and beautiful or like gourmet even you know because there was a lot of travel but you know those jobs are few and far between so I was thrilled to get a job at Glamour and I got there and like weeks into it I was like oh my gosh there's this new random guy like he's naked he's called the naked chef like I want to write about him and they were like what are you even talking about why are you so obsessed with food like can you write about sex and I was like that's not my beat like let me write about food let me write about travel like they were just humoring me. They were like letting me write these cute little things about chefs and restaurateurs. And he was like a good on brand topical person for that audience. And I was like, oh, this is a whole world, you know? And at that job, we worked super late nights. Everyone just was super young and put in the time. And, you know, we went out to dinner as a, as a staff at night. So I was just starting at like, to like 10 o'clock PM. Yes, totally. 10 PM. And it was just like tasty New York. You know, it was like, we would go to the new hot place and we'd order everything on the menu and like every dessert and just eat and taste. And my eyes were really open. Like I never really wanted, I never, I had a job in a snack bar and like when I was 15, but I had never worked rated tables, like never worked at a bar, never worked in a restaurant. Like I wasn't, it wasn't even on my radar. And then New York just opened my mind to this whole, you know, the art and the theater of food 
captivated me from day one. And so I'd only been working in New York for maybe two years, writing in photo jobs. And then I decided to go to culinary school. And it was just sort of like letting doors open and seeing where the journey took me. Were you nervous to walk away from the like paycheck of a regular job to go to school again? Well, I mean, back then I was making like $20,000. So there wasn't much to walk away from. But yeah. <laughs> um, I was nervous about losing the contacts because it felt like such a hard world to get into. But I was also really, like, really dreamy and really like, the sky's the limit. Anything's possible. And here I am, this, you know, girl from Northern Illinois who knew no one, not one person when I moved to New York, and making friends and making contacts and realizing that, you know, anything is possible when you when you live in a city like that, you know, you just don't know. So I was we know what I was afraid of. This is such a vanity thing. But I was afraid of getting really overweight and like having tons of acne. Like I was like, if you go to culinary school, I and not even that I cared about those things. But you know, I, I, I know I knew that I love to eat. And I didn't know if I would have any ability to use self control. Yeah, that doesn't exist. <laughs> exactly, right? So where did you go to culinary school in New York? So I went to the Culinary Institute of Culinary Education, which was called Peter Cumston. I had applied to the CIA and New England Culinary and all the like New England schools. And I was I gave up my apartment, sold like all my fancy like working clothes from New York City, like from working in magazines, all my girly clothes. And bought like sweaters and boots. And I'm like, I'm moving to Vermont. And then September 11th happened. And it was like, life is short. The ICE I had applied to as like a maybe called. And they're like, we can get you in next week. So many people were not coming to New York. And so many people. So I was, I was planning to go to culinary school like a year from then. Like kind of planning ahead. And they were like, we can get you in. Like we can start you in two months. I didn't realize it was during September 11th. That's wild. Yeah. And so I wasn't going to leave New York. I, I loved being there. And that experience was obviously very shocking, but it didn't like, it actually made me feel more unified. You know, everybody was just, everyone was amazing and everyone came together. So it, it didn't make me want to leave New York. On the contrary, it made me love New York. And, and then I had that spot and I was like, you know what? Let's just, life is short. Let's just go right there and see what it's, I really thought, I would continue along a totally different path, but I thought it would be so fun to know how to cook like everything and just know a lot about food. Like I didn't think I was going to make a career out of it. I thought it would be neat to be the person at the dinner table who knew the most about everything on the menu. <laughs> right. And that could cook a dinner party and right. impress all of their friends. And just have a lot of fun with it. And then, you know, and then I was like, oh, people make careers out of this and really interesting creative ways that are not necessarily being a restaurant chef. Hey, this is Alexis Haynes. Join me every Monday for a new episode of my podcast, Recovering from Reality. Whether you're on the road to recovery, seeking self-care techniques for surviving the capitalist machine, or just need a moment to remember that you're not alone in your loneliness. I'm here to deliver intimate conversations and expert insights to empower you on the road towards authentic wellness. So are you ready to recover from reality? So how did you right? Like how did when you because when you're in a culinary school like that, like this is not what they did in my school. It was too small, but you probably had to have an externship, work in restaurants, all that kind of stuff. How did you make the jump into media, like the media side of food rather than just going into restaurants? That's such a good question. I feel like it's so relevant for so many people who want to do that because the school was like grooming everyone to go either work in a restaurant, open a restaurant, open a bakery. And I kept saying, that's not what I want to do. That's not my long-term goal. Like I, I was like super early knew that I wanted a family, knew I wanted to have a life where I could be really present with my kids. So I already knew that restaurants were probably not the right path for me. So they required me to work in an externship. And I'm so glad they did because I went to Cafe Blue, which was like the spot at the time, you know, it was three star and Andrew Carmelini had just gotten like best, best new chef on the cover of Food and Wine. And he was like one of the youngest ever to be on it. You know, there's a lot of change since then. Now everyone's young and hip and cool. But back then it was like, you know, there were only white tablecloth restaurants got attention. 
and he was just fun and phenomenal. And like, it was such an interesting group of guys, like all those guys that I worked with, they're all, you know, run major restaurants in New York now and um, are just doing amazing things. So it was a really fun. So I did that for a couple, I did that for a couple of years. And then I get an opportunity to go be a private chef in Saint Tropez, which I think you probably knew about that part of things. And that was, again, like a total fluke. Like I was working with this woman on a catering thing on the weekend for extra money. And she said, I'm not going to go back to my private chef job in Saint Tropez next summer. The family's super nice. Like, would you ever want to interview for that? I'm like, yes. <laughs> I think that sounds fine. I think I could I think I could just toughen up and do that job for a year. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, totally. So I interviewed for that job, but that was a totally crazy story. That was there was an enormous snowstorm. I had they gave me like spend as much as you want, we'll reimburse you, create like a you know, three to five course meal for eight of our intimates and come to our house will, you know, get yourself here. They lived in like, you know, North New Jersey, like right across the um, George Washington Bridge. So I had bought all this stuff and prepped and for days and days and the guys at Cafe Blue like helped me prepare like wine pairings and like really wanted to impress them. And there was this huge snowstorm and all the subways shut down and all the buses shut down. There were no cabs, there were no black cars. And I had like a thousand dollars worth of food and literally in a backpack. Like I was super young, broke, you know, like just up for anything kind of, but I had all this food on my back. Literally, I'd spent days and days prepping these ridiculous over the top things that I was like read about or learned about. And I was about to burst into tears. I'm like, I don't think I can get to you. (gasps) And like, and they said, "Uh, okay, let's see if we can get you, we can pick you up. So they sent a black car to pick me up and I got to the house and literally they hugged me and they're like, just the fact that you're here, like you have the job. Oh my God. I love that. They were the sweetest. And you cooked the I mean, most the magical dinner. And I cooked like one of the best meals probably of my life, like probably the most ambitious meal I've ever cooked ever to this day. I cooked that night so and I was like cool. sweating, like, like, like not truly sweating, but like like shaking on the inside, like, oh my gosh, do I even remember how to make this? You know what I mean? Everything was so complicated. I don't cook like that at all anymore. No, I know your recipes are very approachable and doable, but you were trying to impress someone and it was right out of culinary school. I feel like all of us were a lot fancier back then because that's how we were trained. You wanted to try everything. It was like, and especially because these were things I couldn't afford at all for myself. So if they were this was like my opportunity to, to be like, oh, maybe I'll buy a duck breast and see what that's like to cook at home, you know? Then I spent two summers with them. Did I, did I spend three summers with them? I can't even remember now. Three, two or three summers with them. Most incredible summers. It was before Instagram, like blogging. Like it was one of those pinch me things where you felt like they, no one would even believe you. I had to like ask them to borrow the computer to write emails to my sister, my friends. And I'm like, I can't even really describe this to you. Instead, like I just sat in it and soaked it in and tried and cooked everything I ever wanted to try to make and, you know, made duck pastrami and like, again, like things that I have not made in 15 years, but loved making for that one <laughs> yeah. summer, you know, those two summers. God, that's so dreamy. I feel like not everyone has cool private chef clients. So you lucked out. And I, I feel like we both lucked out in the fact that we loved who we work for because some people are totally disasters. <laughs> I know. I hear from people all the time, like, you know, how painful it was and how you're just swallowing your pride every day. And I mean, there was definitely a lot of dishes <laughs> and a lot of, you know, there were like the really wonderful parts and the less glamorous parts, but they really did take me in as a family. Like they, I sat down and ate with them every night, like three course meals, 20 guests from all over the world. Cause he is a scientist, a really renowned scientist with a lot of patents. And so he was having scientists visit from Sweden and hungry. He's Hungarian, ironically. Totally. Man, look who you married. <laughs> exactly. Oh my God. So what happened after that? Where did you go next? So I came home. I spent, yeah, the two summers there. And then I had gotten a a grant to a Julia Child grant that I used to go live in Paris and did some research about like 
the relationship between, you know, it's just so funny even thinking about this because I'm like, yeah, I was so ambitious back then. Oh my gosh. Well, you're still quite ambitious. You have two children, multiple books, you're filming a show, like you're crushing it. Oh gosh. Well, <laughs> you know, just like intellectually too, I, you know, I was doing these, I was interviewing all these chefs in and around Paris and about their relationship with farmers. And again, like farm to table is so everyday now, but it's back then it was like Peter Hoffman at Savoy, who I also worked for in New York city and Alice Waters were doing, was doing that in California and Peter Hoffman was doing it in New York city and everybody else was still ordering from Cisco. And then you go to Paris and like the Michelin three star and these teeny tiny phenomenal restaurants, like hole in the wall could had traceability on everything on the plate from like flour to butter to, you know, pheasant to everything. And so I was like, I had just learned French. It was like botching it left and right, but they were totally sweet and like letting me interview them in French. And I was writing all these phenomenal things. And my plan was to like, come back and like, come on to the scene of like, gourmet or savoir and like blow everyone out of the water and then I totally fell in love in Paris and I like lost my footing and I I mean I I learned so much obviously and I still use everything I learned to this day but I never came back and wrote the piece I just I just like came back with the guide back to New York and um wasn't my husband but that's okay because he's how I met my husband so (laughs) it all worked out okay and so then where did you go from there like did you just go straight to Food Network so then it's a little muddy, but yeah, Food Network had called or someone I worked, and again, another friend in catering was like, oh, I'm freelancing at Food Network and are you interested? So everything was kind of fluid back then. It was like, I just basically said yes to everything because, you know, I didn't have any family in New York. I had a lot of good friends I'd made, but I had already left like twice, you know, left kind of my magazine world to go to culinary school, even though I still live in the same city. And then truly left the city to go to Paris. So I was learning really quickly that New York has that draw and that pull that makes you feel like you can't ever leave. And that if you leave, it'll never be as good or you'll never have as many opportunities. But I learned so early on in my career that that's not exactly true. And and, and one of the things I love now living in this super digital world is that like, I'm so inspired by people who live everywhere, you know, Tulsa, Oklahoma, or like the middle of Nevada or wherever, and are like, really making a beautiful life and a beautiful connection with people all over the world and have their own brands in a way that I could have never done back then. Because the the storyline back then was, you have to come to New York, you have to work for these names, you have to put in your time, you know, and I just, I was like a good little soldier. I did all those things. You know, I did tons of stages and tons of free, and I interned for free at Savar and I interned for free at like three or four restaurants, like for months and months and months for free. And I don't think people do that anymore. And maybe you just don't need to, you know? But anyway, all that to say, it was just really fluid back then. I was open and I would just say yes and try things. And I mean, by the time I turned 30, people would be like, how old are you? Because my resume, it's like I had done so many things, but it was all condensed into this rapid fire, like several years of like, let's try this, let's try this. And because the private chefing thing was seasonal, it was just summers. It allowed me then during the rest of the year, those three years, try out lots of different things. So I like freelanced for a lot of the magazines that I had either interned for or worked for, hired me back as a freelancer to write articles. Like my very first public piece, published piece was for Sever. And my first published recipe was for Redbook, which I had interned for years before. So there, there was always this kind of like open armness of these incredible mentors who were like, oh, you decided to go to food. I get it. Okay. How about we work together in this new way? And I was, I feel very fortunate for that. Do you, so I have so many questions. One, looking back now for someone who wants to follow a similar career path as you or get into the food world, do you do not think being in New York is the end all be all to start? Not at all. A hundred percent. No, I would have said that even before COVID because I think definitely travel here, definitely visit these places, know what's what. But like, even in the last five years, we we left New York City five years ago. And up until then, I like made it a point to like know what was new and what was hip and what was cool and try all the greatest new restaurants. Not because I like needed to know, but I, I that really inspired me 
but I also, yes, thought I needed to know to really stay in the game. And then I moved to this, the smallest of small villages. There is literally a church, a library, a gas station. Those are the three things in our village. There are three establishments and the rest is just residential. And, you know, I walk my kids to school. I mean, they're homeschooled right now, but normally I walk them to school and it's just a very provincial little town, but I'm thriving in a way that's the most authentically me. And I can do that because the noise went away. You can tell that you're living your best life through your work, through these last couple of books and all your posts and your photography. It like, it feels so on brand for you. Like it, it just, it screams Sarah. (laughs) Oh, thank you so much. Um, Yeah. I just feel more at home in myself and in my work than I ever have because there's, I'm not, I'm not trying to please somebody or a boss or like anything. I'm just, I really like those connections. Sometimes my close friends who don't do Instagram for work are like, wow, you spend so much time really engaging with people's comments. And I'm like, they really mean a lot to me because when I had, a lot of them are mothers, you know, that's a big part of my audience. But when I had Greta, who will be 10 in November, I li- we lived in, you know, Long Island City, Astoria, Queens, like super melting pot, super dynamic beautiful community like but the only family the only people I knew with kids the the woman who lived next door she was from Bangladesh and she had four beautiful children she was like 10 years younger than me and had four children wonderful woman and and Greta's first friends were her kids but that was the only friend I had with kids so I was totally lonely for I like my my I mean this is kind of diversion but like my work life was like booming and thriving, but like my emotional life as a, as like turning the corner into this new realm in that city of all cities was so challenging. And so I guess what I feel like when I connect with these people is like, they could be that person who just needs to be heard today and needs to feel like important or valid or like seen or whatever. And it's, it's a very small blip of a moment, but it's super important to me. Like that's what keeps me going. It's so important. Before we get into your personal brand that you have crafted meticulously over the years, I want to talk a little bit about the magazine world because you've worked in it. You worked in it, you know, with Real Simple and other things more recently than what we've already touched on. And I feel like it's really changed. Like it's a whole different ball game than when you were there even back at the glamour days, like it's not the same. The staffs are much smaller. Everyone's wearing so many different hats. The budgets are smaller. Like what's your take on where that publishing world is going? That's such a good question. You know, I went to Real Simple. I was, um, I had just published my first book, The New Lewis Cookbook, and just written my second book, Feast, but it was in a holding pattern waiting to be published. Like it, I was done editing and it wasn't going to come out for like six or eight months. And Timing reached out to me and they're like, we have an opening. Um, they didn't even tell me what magazine. They're like, we have an opening that we think you're a good fit for. And I was like, what? I'm just like living my little quiet life over here writing books. But I was super flattered, super honored. I went in and met with everybody and I was like, oh, it was real simple. And I was like, oh, this is actually a really good fit for me, even though truly that job simplified my point of view a ton. Like I was still in like my little Miss Fancy Pants cooking phase then a bit. Like when I look back at Feast, my second book, you know, I insisted that you absolutely must cook your chickpeas from scratch. Like, I can't tell you when I, I mean, I, I do that with the Instant Pot in my new book, but I haven't like put on my stove top and like simmered chickpeas for many, many years. But even when I went there, which was like seven years ago or how long ago when I went there, it was like, yeah, seven years ago. Even then people were like, print is dying, print is dying. So people, you know, a lot of my peers said, why you've developed your own brand and you're writing books, why would you go back into magazines? But I loved it because I love the collaboration and they work with the best photographers in the business and the best prop stylists and the best food stylists. And as you know, when you write your own cookbooks, it's so flattering because they trust you. But then if you're in your own totem pole and they trust you all the time, no one's saying like, oh, well, that's not very pretty or that's not great. I wanted to get better. I wanted to improve. And the magazine world did that because, you know, there were, we worked with stylists who'd been doing this for 30, 40 years who are, were used to, you know, they, they developed 
Architectural Digest or Gourmet, like all of those old, really luxe magazines were their babies, you know? And so their standards were so high and their layering and their texturing and, you know, the budgets they were used to were just like insane. But I came in and then almost immediately they were like, we're, you know, I had a staff of six people and almost like weeks into my job, they're like, well, we have to cut one person from your staff. And from there, over the next five years, it was just cut, 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 cut. And it was so much bigger than just, you know, my magazine. It was the whole industry. Everyone was cutting and trimming. And like you said, by the time I left, I was wearing so many hats. But I will say there's still an appetite for it. I still love my magazine. Yeah. Well, there's something so different. Like there's something about touching that paper and turning that page. It's the same with reading a book. Like I never, unless it's a pregnancy book, like I don't use my Kindle. Like I want, I want the book. Like I want to feel it in my hands. I want to like curl up with it on the couch or at the beach or whatever it is. But it's really interesting to watch the, the magazine world change. Like, I don't think it's going away, but I definitely think they're adapting and they're adapting slower than say you or I do on our personal brand side of things. Yeah. I think it's, I mean, it's obviously changed so much this summer in so many necessary ways. I think it's just interesting because, you know, they traditionally paid such low salaries. There were so many gatekeepers. If you were not a, you know, moderately cared for, you know, I would almost say wealthy, young white person, basically, there just weren't opportunities, which is, you know, now looking back, and I think about, I was definitely only able to take those jobs and those internships, because my parents helped me go to college and I graduated without debt, but I was still scraping by. I remember going to like every free event New York City offered, but it wasn't like I couldn't feed myself. So they're, they're only making opportunities possible. You know, in the past, they were only making opportunities possible to a certain income bracket. And that's, that's you're never going to get a diverse selection of talent. You're never going to get all the stories. You're never going to get all the cross-section of all the people that I want to hear for, from and that we all need to hear from to really understand humanity and, and food is such a beautiful intersection of opportunity to just like learn about everybody. And we, we miss that for like years and decades. Well, yeah, I think that's evident by what happened <laughs> this summer. I feel like it was an awakening, but it's so cool. I mean, for, in my opinion, I think food's the easiest way to get to know somebody like everyone has to eat and everyone's going to sit down at the table and talk about themselves and their stories and their history and their past and their culture. And I think it's, I think magazines changing who they're looking for to fill these editor roles and all the writers and everything, photographers, prop stylists, whatever, start to finish, they'll figure out how to make it last. Like they'll figure out how to pivot and keep going, but I'm glad that they're going the way they are. Yeah, I am too. And I'm really excited to hear all the new voices and hear, you know, learn so many things I haven't learned before. And, you know, even living in New York, I I'm, I'm, was constantly exposed to so many different cultures. But then when you take a step back and you look inside the industry itself, I mean, not the, not the restaurant industry. The restaurant industry, as when I worked, all the different jobs I worked in restaurants was very diverse, you know, like our, our both front and back of house, like everyone was super fluid. Everyone got along. It was really beautiful. And I, I don't, I can't speak for other restaurants, but my experience was like super integrated and beautiful. And, and it's just fascinating that that was so not the case in the print and the magazine world. But I do think now that they're getting, you know, now that, that we've kind of blown the whole thing open, I hope that there will be some really good survivors, the ones that should survive, you know, and for me, like print to me, the most interesting print right now is like Peddler Journal from Heidi McKinnon and like all these great indie, indie magazines selling, you know, immigrant stories or just so many beautiful things that, that is a magazine I don't toss in my recycle bin ever. You know, I no, keep it like that's like a, a coffee book. table book. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So I was talking with another author who's who's a very well established author today. We were just talking about like there's so much content, there's so much print, there's so many books, there's so many magazines, and the disposability that it lends when we just like saturated the market with so much versus like years and years and years ago, there would be like three big books every fall and three in the spring. And, you know, 
other books, but the, but those were like the books, you know, the big books. And then now there's a lot of books. Like I, I can't remember. I was watching the other day. It was like some. I can't remember which um, vertical, which which brand was like the top 100 books of the fall. I'm like, oh my gosh, there's 100. Oh my god. Okay. So let's talk about your books. You do just publish your third book, correct? My fourth book. Fourth. Instant Family Meals is my fourth book. And it's amazing. And I get questions all the time about One Pot, Instant Pot, all these family style meals. And we don't cook like that very often, to be honest. And this book is the answer to everybody's question because it has, it just covers everything and it's beautifully shot. You guys styled it like to the nines. It's so beautiful. And for everybody listen that's listening who's not familiar with Sarah's recipes, there are very few people in the entire world, I can count them on one hand, whose recipes I trust implicitly, and you're listening to one of them. So the recipes work, the book's beautiful, but tell me, like, how long was this process to do this book? This was totally crazy. I had just published, I had a huge gap between my second and my third book because that's when I was at Real Simple trying to get pregnant again, had a second baby, moved upstate, like there was a lot in there and I had no time to write a book. And I even didn't really want to at the time. And then I wrote Every Day is Saturday, which is just like fully organically from our regular, our real life up here, just like so embodies everything we're about. And I came home from book tour in the, in the fall of last year and Raquel Pazell, who's at Clarkson called me and she's like, hey, I have a book idea for you. I want to know if you're interested in writing it with me, you know, writing the book for us. And she told me the idea. And I was like, I, I don't really, like you said, I don't cook that way a lot. I knew, and I had certainly experienced that an instant pot is brilliant with beans and certain things, but I am so Alamanu. I'm so fresh from the farmer's market. I'm all about my garnishes. I love my shaved radishes and my herbs. And, you know, part of the reason we live here is, for me, the garden is in my muse. And so I can go outside and like pick and that, and I'm like, if you look at my blog, it's just like salads. And I mean, I love raw food and fresh food, but I was like, huh, can you, can you make my kind of food in an instant pot? What, what would that look like? So I was like, give me a couple of weeks to think about it and really go after it and make sure. And I started writing my list and it was like all the things I love and all the things, frankly, that I miss from living in New York city that I used to get from takeout, like congee and like, you know, we just really good, like big flavor food that I can't get up here because I live in like, you know, like I said, tiny village outside of cute little hipster town outside of like, you know, the country, like we are in the middle of orchards and farms, massive, massive, like agricultural belt here. And then probably like there was somewhere in there is like suburbia and then there's New York city. And so I can't get any of that. You know, I can't get pad thai and I can't get, you know, tiki masala or um, congee or like, you know, anything. So I, uh, and at the same time, literally my kids like ate pizza the whole time I was on book tour and I got home and my son was like all of a sudden, not a baby, but like a big boy who needed to eat full dinner. Now, Andres is a vegetarian that has recently became a vegetarian, but I could eat salad or like cereal for dinner, you know, or snack boards like every night. But all of a sudden I had like two big kids who needed hot full on dinner. So I just got three instant pots and went after it. And I was like, holy cow, this thing is amazing. I wrote this book in an intense burst of just full on like cooking 10 recipes a day every day, every weekend, every night. I had testers all across the country cross testing everything like two, three, four times. Because the thing with an Instant Pot is like, you know, there's a lot of recipes out there, but I wanted people to have bingo, like 100% success each and every time because you can't really tweak it. You can't taste as you go. You can't salt a little more until the end. So I wanted to make sure that what went in the pot was going to come out delicious. And then teach people that like restaurant style kind of quickie garnishes like a green sauce or loose shaggy gramolata that really brings everything to life that that is the kinds of food that the instant pot shines for like a ragu or you know short ribs or cooking a pot roast like like my mom's pot roast no offense mom if you're listening <laughs> like 
she was a wonderful, cozy, consistent, like loving home cook, but nothing ever like blew your socks up. Her baking is phenomenal, but like her dinner was just solid, right? But like pot roast, it would be like, it tasted like cooked carrots and it was like nice and comforting or whatever. But I was, I wanted like an electric pot roast and I've got harissa in there and like all these things that, you know, it was a learning curve for me to, to figure out how to make that short cooking time give you the flavor of something that just sat on a Dutch oven for two and a half hours or four hours or six hours, which is the way I normally do things. So I learned a ton. I feel like here I am like 15 years into my career and I've learned, 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 learned all the way. But like, this was like an intense learning curve really quick. And I'm super proud of this book. If you would have asked me two years ago when I write this book, no way. It wouldn't even be on my radar. But I'm so proud of this book because I feel like in the year we're living right now, this is actually the book everyone needs. I was just going to say that. Like this couldn't have come out at a better time. Exactly. Like not even in a sales pitchy way, but just seriously, like when I came back and I was exhausted from traveling and wanted to reconnect with my family, it snowed in October. Like it was cold. Then we had... COVID hit like in, you know, February, like these recipes got me through a really tough year. And I know that they can do that for people. So I'm psyched about that. I mean, not only is it the perfect thing for this year, just given COVID, it's the perfect thing for this time of year, considering we're rolling into the holidays and it's chilly and everybody wants to be at home and you maybe don't want to spend 12 hours at the kitchen because you also are on Zoom all day for work and you just want to still have an incredible meal and put it on the table. So honestly, not that it was done intentionally this way, but like you guys couldn't have planned the launch date better. I know. (laughs) I know. Isn't that crazy? And you know, it's so funny because like I place such a high value on cooking and spending time cooking. But one of the things that I came away with from this is like, I put that as a higher value than a lot of things that other people value, like exercise, like every day, like you, like you're so good at making sure that happens, you know, and you'll see once you have kids, it's like, there's so many things that are like up there. The high value level is like, you know, spending time with them and making sure they're fed and like all the self-care stuff goes to the bottom. But because I started using the Instant Pot, like I was able to spend more time with them, read more, which is something I love, exercise more, you know, like watch shows with my husband at night. Like literally in 12 years of marriage, like we didn't start doing that until this year and I love it. Oh my God, but that's so cool that you get that time back. So as far as book tour goes, clearly not happening. Tell me a little bit about what you got, what your plan is. That's so interesting because before we knew about COVID, obviously, they said, um, we're not going to, we're not going to book tour this book. Um, and we assume that that works for you because you've got a family. And I was like, oh my gosh, sweet. Because I just got back from book tour. It was amazing. It was like the best six, eight weeks, however long I was gone of connecting with, you know, all my girls in LA and like all my friends in Seattle, just like really reconnecting and celebrating. And that felt so good. But I knew that I, didn't want to do that again right away. It just worked out that that wasn't the plan anyway. It's not really that kind of book in a way because I don't know, I guess it's just not that kind of book, but, but really what's so awesome is that I'm like, I love how everybody's cooking at home. I've loved doing lives and I've been doing so many lives and I love it. I don't do lives on my own feed very often because I'm technologically um, challenged so many (laughs) ways. I think it's such an incredible way to connect with your audience. We haven't done one in a couple of weeks just because we don't have a kitchen right now, but it's the easiest way for people to watch what you're doing and ask you a question. So I feel like keep doing them. They're amazing. You are so good at live. Like you and Thomas are like the live duo, like magic. I mean, like I can't master the self. Like I love doing video when there's people here to help me, but I haven't met, like I've, I've made four reels and they're a total disaster. I should just it's, delete them, but. <laughs> no, do not delete them. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about Edible Living because you also have all your books and you have this entire digital platform online that you've cultivated over. I don't, I, I remember when you started it, I feel like you sent Catherine and I an email. You're like, I started a website and it was ages ago and you've, made it so beautiful and it's a home to so many recipes and all these things. And now you have a TV show. Like, tell me, 
Tell me a little bit about that. <laughs> um, well, that's so interesting. You know, I, I'm talking to like the on-brand queen over here. You are like so on-brand every minute you are, every minute of your day. Because I had worked for so many big brands, like, you know, freelance for Martha Stewart, like I'd worked for brands that were brands, like real simple, and then brands that were people like Martha Stewart. And I kind of filtered that through the brain of like, okay, I know I want to like be able to bounce in and out, step in and out when I have kids. This is me as like a 21 year old, like thinking about having kids already. Um, I was always, always, always wanted it. But anyway, so I knew that I didn't want to have a brand that was my name, just in case I could create something bigger than me, more inclusive than me, and also step away from it and have it live without me, which in the end is never what I've wanted to do, because it just turns out that I really love working. (laughs) And I I just, I love being like in it. I love like, if I don't make something every day, like either shoot something or like style something or make a recipe or write something every day, I'm just not my best me. I feel like a little like antsy. It's like if someone didn't go running, you know, that's how I feel. I get kind of like icky in my body. But but I still like the idea of creating something that isn't just about me. So that's been really fun. Um, I never did a blog when blogs were new because I was always working for magazines and all my content was no, that was how I made my living. It was all paid content. So I would write a recipe and I would get paid or I'd write an article and I'd get paid. And so to give it away for free was like a really hard concept for me to wrap my brain around. 2,500 recipes I've written all belong to brands. Like legally, they, I, when I sign a contract, I sign away my right to own those things. So I have like thousands and thousands of recipes, original recipes that I've written that are not, that are contractually now owned by Food Network or Sever or all these different brands, you know, that's a whole nother conversation. But all that to say what, you know, it's hard to reinvent 2000 times and be like, oh, I'm going to write a new pot roast that's completely different than the one I wrote for Sever and completely different from the one I wrote from Food Network. And so, so different that it feels like I can put it on my own website now. Um, so I just stay away from things that I've written before for other people, unless there's like, if there's no obvious way to make it new on my own again and not infringe upon that, it's just such a slippery slope, right? So on my website is like things that are either like, like I, I eat weird stuff at home sometimes. Like I love, I love salad so much. I love fruit so much. You know, like I, this summer I did this um, melon and fresh ricotta and like, um, chili garlic sauce salad that like blew my mind it was just like the most delicious thing I've eaten in five or ten years and I was so excited to put that on my website I don't know if that's a recipe that near the New York Times would ask me to write or real simple like it's just its own thing and I think in the food world people get kind of pigeonholed as like they're this or they're that or you know, they're the noodle girl or they're the baker or they're the pie person. And I'm none of those things. I just, I have like, I like to do a lot of different things. I now love giving people a free recipe. Like I love spending like an entire day. And sometimes I'm paying a babysitter for like eight hours and I'm like, what am I doing? I'm paying a babysitter eight hours. I spent all day developing this recipe, shooting it, editing it, posting it to give it to everybody for free. But I love that. I love that they can come and just, you know, you've, you've been doing that all along. So you must, you, you're like, I can see from your smile, you know, exactly what I'm talking about. It's like, I did this for you guys because it was so delicious. You need to know about it. I want you to have it. And I love you. Like, I love you guys. Everyone who comes, I feel like a connection to them because they're taking their time to come to my face. And there's so many places they can go on the internet now. Right. But they trust you. Right. It feels really special and like an honor. So now I'd love, and I wish I had more time to give away free recipes. And I would, I love doing the blog. I don't even know if two people read it, but I love doing it. It doesn't matter. Of course they do. I think it's really interesting to think about that though. The fact that you're like in the traditional sense, you're compensated for all of your work, whether you're working for New York Times, Savor, Food and Wine, whatever it is. And you're not compensated when you're writing on your website. Like you're compensated in other ways. You can work with brands. You might have ads on your site, things like that. But it's not a guarantee all the time. But it's a way of building your own brand. And sometimes like, what was that saying? Like, don't give away the, 
if you give away the milk for free, they'll never buy the right. cow or something right. like that. It, it's like, um, <laughs> why buy the cow if you can milk for free, right? Something like that. Yeah. But I feel like in today's world, that's not, it's just not how it works anymore. Like you got to be able to put stuff out there to show your abilities and show people cooking your recipes before, before a larger publication would probably even look at you to bring you on as a writer or a recipe developer or someone right. on staff. Right. And, you know, so the thing about building a brand, I mean, you would know a lot about this because you've, you've revamped and reinvented and rebranded. You know, you've, you've done that so many times. You've like, so my whole thing is like, I have never allowed myself to grow bigger than like a staff of me and one person I trust deeply who comes from like, who comes maybe, you know, four hours a week or six hours a week or 12 hours a week on a busy week. That's it. Because I love, I'm just like so hands-on on everything. But I really admire people who have, you know, contributors and who are able to delegate and, and send out portions of their business and then be the visionary over it. But I think I always think about stuff like I'll just my I've only been blogging for a couple of years and I'll go back and I'm like, oh, I need to reshoot that. Like what happens when you have like thousands of recipes on there and they start to look like dated or you just don't love it anymore. You change your vibe or you change your style. And I think you have to be a person that's accepting to really grow big. You have to be a person who can accept like a percentage to be like, it's good enough right now until I can get back to it. Because how can you keep going forward if you're stuck on what you did that needs to improve? You, you need to just keep producing a new and new. And sometimes it's just comical to go back and look at your work from back in yesteryear and be like, wow, I thought that was acceptable. Okay. Right, right. <laughs> it is. And I do always appreciate, like, it seems like really hard to do now because people's feeds are so old. But remember when Instagram was so new and then people had, all of a sudden would have just this phenomenal feed. But if you went back like just like five months or something, you could see some atrocious things. And then you're like, whoa, there was a major leap in there. What happened? Where now it's like people's ugly stuff is so deep. It would take you like a whole night so to deep. find it. Or archive. Like I know a lot of people who archive old content all the time. And like I've gone back and like looked at what the first, I think the first thing I ever posted was actually a picture of my engagement ring the night Thomas and I got engaged. Oh my gosh, and it was, so cute. It was back in the day of like, really like you slapped shitty filters on everything and you had like this like Polaroid like border like it's so funny to go back and look my first posts are you are like really bad food that I was developing like delicious food but bad photos that I was developing for feast my second book and Greta was a baby she was like a toddler that so it's like her wearing like 1970s looking footy pajamas with like a butchered like mom homemade haircut like sitting next to a giant pumpkin on their little table in, you know, in the city in our dinky apartment. And it's like, <laughs> it's so good that it's there for me to remember how far we've all come because I was also so happy then, you know, so it's like, it's good to remember that that was also enough, you know, and that it's great to progress. And I always want to progress and improve. Okay. So I like to end every episode with a handful of game show questions. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> What's your guilty pleasure food? All kinds of chocolate at any hour. I'll tell you, it's my homemade chocolate granola that I eat at 11 o'clock at night while watching the show with my husband. Like handfuls of it. We both do it. Support you. I support you. What is your, I know you cook something different very frequently, but if you had to pick one go-to weeknight meal, what's your go-to? I would say my go-to is like a rice bowl with beans, avocado, of course, salsa, radishes, tons of herbs from the garden. Like we're a total, my, my kids are total rice and beans kids. They love, love them. So are we growing up in Arizona? Um, what is your, if you go one place in the entire world, pretend COVID didn't exist to eat, where would you go? Oh, I'm so into islands right now. Like I want to be in Sardinia or like any, like any island off the coast of like Spain or Northern Africa. Like I just want to be in the islands. And I just think the food is so hyper local and just like, you know, so beautiful and simple and places like that. Um, at a restaurant, if you're starting to fill up, would you rather order one more savory dish or dessert? A hundred percent dessert. <laughs> the chocolatiest <laughs> thing they have. Hey, you're savory, I bet. 
I mean, I'd get a pasta. Unless there was like totally. a gooey chocolate chip cookie, I'd get a pasta. Okay, yeah. Good call, good call. <laughs> What's your favorite ice cream flavor? I meant chocolate chip. Really? So good. So interesting. My dad is a diehard mint chip. Oh, he is. Unless it's yeah. Baskin Robbins, old school peanut butter chocolate with the swirls of like intense peanut butter in it. But no, but nobody has Baskin Robbins anymore. So there's a Baskin Robbins by our old condo in LA. And I'm upset that I'm not upset we're not there anymore. But honestly, being pregnant, I w- am glad actually we're not there because I would just be at 31 flavors. 31 times a month. <laughs> Dangerous. Totally. <laughs> Not a good thing. Okay. Last question. Perhaps the most important Taylor Swift or Beyonce. Oh, so hard. So hard. So hard. I think, oh my gosh. I know. These are terrible questions. I need to come I up mean, with new ones. <laughs> obviously Beyonce would be my best friend, but Taylor. You can say both. They're, yeah, they're both. It's like different reasons. Tell everybody where they can find you. Okay. So my Instagram is Edible Living. I love Pinterest. I'm on Pinterest at Edible Living. Also, um, my website is edibleliving.com. And your cookbooks are sold everywhere books are sold. They're on Amazon. They're at small bookstores, all the things. All all the places. Yes. They're on all the big places and all the local places and Powell's and everywhere in between. In fact, if you go to edibleliving.com and click pre-order and it's a list of eight different booksellers it's this new book is actually going to be at target as well which is which is new for me i've always been at like crane barrel and anthropology and so that's like a whole different world for me cool that's amazing well get the new book get all the books guys but especially the new one it's incredible it's perfect for right now sarah i love you thank you for coming on the pod fun to talk to you i feel like it was happy hour but i didn't get any alcohol i know (laughs) oh my gosh okay i love you thank you i'll talk to you later for having me All right, guys, that's a wrap on Sarah Copeland. Check her out. All of her links are below in the show notes. She is a dream. And honestly, I wasn't kidding when I said she was one of the top five people I trust as far as recipes goes. She's amazing. Her recipes are bomb. You guys are going to be obsessed with her book. Have a great Monday. All right, that's it for today's Web Scobby Cooking in the Wild. Be sure to tune in for new episodes on Mondays. And if you have any questions you want answered, give us a call at 1-888-338-4429 and leave me a voicemail. Or if you know a super cool small company that you want to be highlighted, let me know in the voicemail as well. Make sure you subscribe on whatever platform you're using to listen and follow along with What's Gobby Cooking on Instagram and Twitter. And for more recipes, check out my website, whatscobbycooking.com. See you guys very soon.